0: Good afternoon, this is Channing Martinez, producer and co-host of Voices from the Frontlines. Last week we had a great show with Mary Louise Patterson, co-author of Letters from Langston From the Harlem Renaissance to the Red Scare and Beyond. Mary Louise is the daughter of Louise Thompson Patterson, a fiercely pro-communist black revolutionary during the Harlem Renaissance, and William L. Patterson, Author and presenter of the We Charge Genocide Brief presented to the United Nations. I and we think this show was great. I was so honored to be in the room with two living revolutionaries, Eric Mann and Mary Louise Patterson, who have both been fighting this racist system for years. I learned a lot and I hope you learn a lot from this rebroadcast. You can listen to this show and all of our past shows by visiting www.voicesfromthefrontlines.com or searching for Voices from the Frontlines on all major podcast platforms. We'd love to hear your reflections on the show. Please send comments to Eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com and Kiana at voicesfromthefrontlines.com and we will respond to your comment and read your comment on air if you agree to share it. With that, please enjoy the show.
1: The sun, little darling. Here comes the sun, I say. It's
2: all right. It's all right.
0: Here comes the sun.
2: your national movement-building show. I have not been excited about a show like this in a long time. So I'm in studio with Mary Louise Patterson and with Channing Martinez, who, along with Evelyn Louise Crawford, has done a book called Letters from Langston, from the Harlem Renaissance to the Red Scare and beyond. Uh, Welcome to Voices from the Frontlines.
1: Thank you, Eric. Thank you very much,
2: this is a a very... This is really is about black revolutionary royalty. It really is, and an amazing journey for me and Channing that we've been on before we met you. But it's almost like we're so thrilled to meet you. So it'll all become clear in the next two or three minutes how we unravel this. So since Channing and I worked on the introduction, he's going to read the frame for the show, and then I'm going to read... Langston Hughes Dream Deferred and then I'm going to start the conversation with my new friend Mayor Louise.
0: Cool and uh, and likewise it has been a very great honor meeting you and we've learned so much about William Al Patterson and study him so much in our work uh, and you know it's it's a rare like occasion that we get to meet someone who's acquainted with a lot of the civil rights heroes that we've all learned about and studied about and try to model our work off of. And so it is a deep honor. Uh, So with that, we wrote this great introduction, Eric and I, and so it goes here. Historic correspondence among Langston Hughes, Louise Thompson Patterson, William L. Patterson, Matt Crawford, Evelyn Nebby Graves Crawford, five black revolutionaries, intellectuals and friends and members of the U.S. Communist Party. Mary Louise will be in conversation with Eric Mar- uh, Mann, Channing Martinez, Barbara Holland in discussing her famous and heroic parents, William L. Patterson and Louise Thompson Patterson. She wrote, At some point in one's childhood or early adolescence, as one is intellectually maturing and becoming socially and politically conscious, one is faced with the need to accept or reject being or becoming like one's parents. One can either accept or reject one's parents' place in history. I chose to accept mine's. And in doing so, I was admitting a profound in to the major contribution to who and what I became, to who I am today. Mary Louise Patterson. The Strategy Center has its roots in deep revolutionary traditions of black and third world people. Inside that vaunted group were the black communists, uh, true black red giants, friends and members of the CPUSA, whose names include, with many others, of great import, Cyril Briggs, Harry Haywood, W.E.B. Du Bois, Paul Robeson, Claudia Jones, Ben Davis, This list also includes the writers of these letters, the prolific Langston Hughes, and along with William L. Patterson, defender of the Scottsboro Boys and the author of We Charge Genocide, Louise Thompson Patterson, who is a brilliant charismatic figure, organizer of movements, plays in the Harlem projects for black actors and playwrights. Matt Crawford, one of the black 22 uh, who, were, who went to make a film and study of the Soviet Union, and Nebby Crawford, who was a great friend and confidant of Langston. Join us as we discuss and make history today.
2: And then I have this poem that we all love. Uh, it's called A Dream Deferred by Langston Hughes. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat? or crust over, and crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet. Maybe it just sags like a heavy load, or does it explode? And then I wrote, Langston's magical or dream Defer was also an inspiration for Lorraine Hansberry epic play Raisin in the Sun. So welcome, Mary Louise.
1: Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here uh, for myself, but also on behalf of my parents.
2: Yeah, tell me, what's it like having truly giants for parents? I mean, we're talking about two of the most amazing. I mean, I'm so in love with both of them. I mean it, they're my friends. I, You are a major, powerful figure, but I'm saying, what's it like to grow up with them?
1: Well, one doesn't necessarily know that one's parents are who they are outside of being your parents until one's like a burgeoning adolescent, usually, Eric. So um, my early childhood, they were just my parents. Um, That was good. Yeah, that was good. Um, But then you're becoming conscious of the world beyond your home, and and then you start hearing about your parents. Um, I certainly did. Because this was the McCarthy period, the nineteen the early nineteen fifties, right. and um my parents were caught up in in that in the anti communist uh wave that was tsunami wave yeah. that was um just flooding america uh post world war two um and my parents were both members of the United States Communist Party. At the time, Russia had been the Soviet Union slash Russia had been our ally during the Second World War. But coming out of the Second World War, suddenly the former ally became the enemy and the former enemy, Japan and Germany, became allies. Um, And so my parents were on the um, enemy list. Um so I grew up with and aware of the FBI sitting out in front of my home in our home um in it was usually a Ford car and there was oh, wow. usually four of them sitting in the car um and they were usually all white right. and they would sit in front of the house and they made no bones about being there clearly to To not only harass my parents, but to intimidate the community, um, to isolate my parents, to have them identified as pariahs, um, enemies of the state, and um, wanting the neighborhood, the neighbors, our neighbors, to reject us so that that was my coming into um you know adolescence and awareness of who I was, who my parents were, their place in the world, my place in the world um, that's what i what I saw, so how was it? well, it was both things it was both scary as well as um i don't know in in some ways, I was emboldened sometimes I would leave the house and they'd be parked. I actually coming home from school more than leaving the house coming home from school in the afternoon and they'd be parked out in front of the house and I would stick my you know finger out at them and my <laughs> tongue out at them um you know as I entered the house um so I was able to do that but at the same time I think I was afraid you know they represented a force that I understood could um do harm to my parents and ultimately my father was imprisoned um for short periods, uh times two during the nineteen um, well, fifties. But some... it was but it was yeah. also wonderful. The people who who came who were their friends, who were just ordinary kind of uncles, extended uncles and aunts, uh to me as I'm becoming an adolescent, I'm aware of who they are. They're Langston Hughes, they're Paul Robeson, their <laughs> W. E. B. Du Bois, um, their Altheus Huntons, their James Jackson, Louis Louis Burnham, etc. These were um, these were the best in the Black radical tradition, um, who were comrades and friends and family, extended family, that left family uh, that we made uh, that. That our parents made um, who came to the house or whose homes we went to all the time
2: well this is wonderful I mean let me just go back a step for our listeners and uh, just to amplify on the history part of this for a minute I mean the communist party had been um, formed in in about the early 1920s after the Soviet Union in in the United States and and It went through a period in the 20s of a very, in retrospect, so-called ultra-left period because it thought the revolution was coming right away. And so being a new party, not very experienced, I mean, people just came together. They were sort of down on everybody. You know, I mean, we're the only right ones, and we don't work with anybody. And there was a a period of, you know, a a real—and that was going on internationally as well. And with the rise of fascism and with the defeat of that line, I mean, because it led the party to be very isolated, um, the party grew up. And you have to remember, it just started in 1921. It was an 8-year-old kid, you know, which people don't understand. It grew up to say, we have to figure out something about the united front against fascism, but we also have to focus on the so-called Negro question. That was not what the normal white communists wanted to do, and there's a whole story about Harry Haywood, Cyril Briggs, your dad, going to the Soviet Union, being educated, being trained in actual strategy and tactics as an Eastern school of the toilers, uh, and they got serious college education on revolution. So they went back and realized that the communists would do best in what's called mass organizations, where a bunch of people would all be trying to do the same thing, but number one, the communists would do it better because they were harder workers, and the communists had some answers. So during that whole period of the 30s and 40s, there was a lot of uh, persecution, but there was a lot of acceptance, and Paul Robeson was speaking all over the world. Uh, I'm sure that your, your dad, I mean, William L. Patterson, you know, he, he led the struggle against the Scottsboro Boys, he was revered, he spoke spoke to large audiences, including liberals, uh, Your mom, charming and political as hell, and she's speaking to 1,500, 2,000 trade unions. And almost like the day after the war, there wasn't an Iron Curtain. The United States brought out an Iron Curtain against the communists who had already planned to get rid of after the war, and the communists did not know it because they were so thrilled to finally be accepted in America. And they really thought that Stalin and Roosevelt would get together and have a more progressive world. So it's devastating that starting in 45, 46, 47, when the House on American Activity Committee, they take, you know, Paul Robeson simply says, the Negro people will not fight the Soviet Union. That's all he said. And they ruined his life over that. You know, they just absolutely destroyed him. So you are growing up in the middle of this uh, reign of terror, and just as you said, my mom was Jew. You know, she said, "So how is it possible that all the Nazis came to the United States?" You know, she says, "So what was the point of the fight against the Nazis if their their Braun is now ahead of the?" She was good on that. She says, "They don't like us Jews, and America likes the Nazis." Mm-hmm. So, how old are you? Well, I know pretty much because we're almost the same exact age. I can. Uh, so, in 45, I'm three. In 48, when this is happening, so let's say in 50, you're eight or nine. Is that right? Seven. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. I am eight or nine. You're a much younger woman. So you're only seven. We were we were in the same school together, but you were one grade lower. So at seven, what's it like? Can you remember seven? Can you remember ten? When does it start dawning on you that, oh, my God, something really bad is happening, even if you're very proud of your parents?
1: I think it was the Rosenbergs. Yes. Um, for me.
2: Yeah, me too. Um,
1: that I realized something bad is happening, something horrible yes. is happening, and it could happened to my parents, too. That's right. Um, so Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, I'm sure that most of your listeners or all of your listeners probably know who they were. Um, they were legally executed by the government of, of the United States, um, allegedly for espionage on behalf of the Soviet Union, Um, Ethel was never accused of that, but she stood by her husband and went with him to uh, their death. Um, And it was that moment, I think, that I realized that um, this wasn't a game. That's right. Um, And that there were forces that could um, alter my life um, in ways that uh, I would never recover from um, so that was that was the first piece and then the second piece was when my father in nineteen fifty one returned from presenting the genocide petition. Yes. The We Charge Genocide Petition, the Crime of the U.S. Government Against the Negro People. That's what um, black people were called at the time. Um, In 1951, he comes back from trying to present the petition in Paris, and he is strip searched at Idlewild, now known as Kennedy Airport in New York City. He is the attempt to humiliate him, to shame him. And he comes out from inside the airport um, and there are tears of absolute rage in his eyes. I'd never seen my father like that. Um, he's received by Paul Robeson and my mother and a whole group of people who were there to receive him. Um, and Paul just embraces my father must have understood what had just happened to him inside um, with immigration and um, and and the custom customs authorities. And my father emerges, and um, I wanted to run up and just grab my father because he looked injured. Great. And I'd never ever seen him look that way, so that was the next point, I think, that I recall of what, you know, these unseen forces, I didn't know who they were, but I just knew that that there were people who hated my parents, and these people had an incredible power, and um, they could make our lives very difficult. Uh, my parents did everything, though, Eric, to shield me from... Um, the uh, the worst of the McCarthy period, um, and living being African American and living in the African American community also provided a certain amount of protection, um, although the African American community wasn't necessarily pro communist or pro communist party. They certainly were suspicious of or. Had a lot of animosity, a certain amount of animosity towards the man right. as mm. the government was known um, and so there was a certain amount of protection in being african American at that time, um you know kind of ironically
2: right. right well, one of the things that's first of all, this is just wonderful, and I'm um, so glad it's being taped by the way and transcribed, and we do have plans for a future event with Mary Louise at the Labor Community Strategies and Strategy in Soul, which is a, it's called a teaser. We'll tell you when it's coming. But the thing that's hard, you know, I read this stuff. I, I live this world. I live in Haiti. You know, I live with Toussaint Louverture. I live, I don't know why. I, when I read history, I, I have the deepest empathy. And uh, what's hard is, so here you are, here is what, you're black. And... You're already you know under such derision from the existing system, and then a lot of people are saying, "Please, can we just get over? It? you know I mean, let's just please. I really appreciate I respect what you're doing, but do you really need to be doing this now, you know I mean, or aren't you bringing down stuff on the community? You're getting that voice. Then you're getting other voices saying, "No, brother, you're doing great, but I can't back you." But go out there, and I got you. So the loneliness in some way, I mean, the black community absolutely did still support. There were some really great articles for Robeson. But if you see in the film, um, Here I Stand, when Robeson comes back from the Soviet Union in his 50s, it's the beginning of seeing a decline. You know, I mean, he just how much could one human being take? So... What I'm getting to is I have enormous respect for what your parents did and what the black communists, and what the communists did, what the Rosenbergs did, by the way. I, uh, I'm a Jew, and, and that was a very big thing with the Rosenbergs. The two events that shaped my life were Emmett Till and the Rosenbergs. And I was there at Emmett Till's age. he was a year older. And I identified with him. I just, it was like, you, how could you kill it? He's one of, you know, we're just the same age. And the Rosenbergs were, I think, in in that two-year period, you know. So, uh, thank you, and thank you for what your parents did, and thank you for this book. Uh, I would like, even if it covers some of the same stuff, it's so beautifully written, I would like you to read that section I marked off in your own biography inside your own book. But let me just say several things. that The Strategy Center believes in books and films. We think that Revolutionary organizing is about reading and thinking. And it's not, of course it's about fighting, and of course it's about that. But they have, why do you think they have the Naval Academy in West Point? Why do you think they have the Harvard Business School? Because they train the other side. Why does the CIA train you? Why do they have uh, death sentences in Georgia? To train you. The strategy center is trying to build the National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing which we have plans for. And part of it is to read books like this for young, black, Latinx, white, Asian-Pacific Islanders to grasp. One of the things that's amazing about this book is I always get confused sometimes about when I'm talking to Joanna, your daughter, and then she's talking about her mom, which is you, and then you're talking about Louise, right? And it's sort of a blur sometimes, you know, like it's sort of one... One extended person is, is sort of in the very best sense of the word. Well, it
1: is a continuum, right?
2: A continuum—that's the better <laughs> word I'm thinking of, which is pretty cool. So, with that, <clears throat> would you please read from your terrific book?
1: My mother first met Langston in 1928 um, in um, at Hampton Institute. It was right. called Hampton Institute then. Langston was touring with his book, The Weary Blues, and they became fast friends. And fast forward to today in this book, which is entitled Letters from Langston from the Harlem Renaissance to the Red Scare and Beyond, as you mentioned. Um, It's the 40, almost 40 year correspondence between my parents, Langston, and my co-author's parents, um, Evelyn Louise Crawford. So this is an excerpt from um, our introduction or actually our preface to the book. And this is from my portion of the preface to the book. In 1951, my father was subpoenaed to testify before a congressional subcommittee about the organization he headed at the time, the Civil Rights Congress, mm-hmm. which was a left wing legal defense group he had helped found in 1946. Mm-hmm. The organization gained notoriety for challenging police brutality, defending African Americans falsely accused of crimes and victims of the latest Red Scare, and for submitting a historic pre- petition to the United Nations charging the U.S. government with submitting African Americans to genocidal policies. When Pat, my father, refused to answer questions, he was cited for contempt of Congress and sent to jail. He was first sent to the West Street Jail in New York City, it's no longer there, to await sentencing, after which he was sent to a new modern prison in Danbury, Connecticut, which was dubbed the Country Club instead of metal bars, um, because it was surrounded by trees and grass and had glass brick windows instead of metal bars. I was eight or nine years old, and I thought it looked pretty as we drove up the manicured driveway to the entrance for visits. My mother would drive us there almost every weekend, taking along the family of Jack Stachel, who was in the same prison for the same crime." We would be ushered into a large open room with groups of seats where we would sit and wait for the prisoners to be brought in. When my father would appear, I'd run up to him and jump into his arms. I never noticed any tears in his eyes or in my mother's, but I'm sure they were there. The task of making me feel safe and secure must have been challenging for my parents, yet somehow they managed. One of the ways they found... To protect me was to send me to a wonderful summer camp in Vermont, Higley Hill. The camp was a haven for those children whose parents were jailed for being communists, had been forced underground to hide from the government, or were just having a rough time simply because they were suspected of subversion. Higley Hill was where I first met and sang with Pete Seeger. Hmm. Many of us went every summer and forged long-term friendships with other campers, some of which carried over into the rest of the year. During the fall and winter, we'd go to Hootenannies together or to Washington Square in in Greenwich Village on the weekends to sing folk songs. The camp's owners, Grace and Manny Greenwich, had been in China around the time of the Long March and had met Madam Sun Yat-sen and Mao Zedong. Much later, when I was into having boyfriends, my father would always corner them, or so it seemed to me to ask them what they were thinking about and then start a one-way conversation <laughs> with them. I'd usually roll my eyes and busy myself with some homework, but I'd listen in. He would often talk to them about the Soviet Union, China, and socialism, or some other current event. He'd never miss an opportunity to, to discuss black history with them or with any young person who was visiting. He'd talk with controlled outrage about the cruel lies and shameless sham of emancipation which simply relegated the Negro people to second-class citizenship and continued their oppression, all the while telling them they were free. He'd mentioned how he believed racism dehumanized white people, and he would always urge my boyfriends to read and to study. I can still hear his voice in my head saying, Young man, you must study. (laughs) He understood how ignorance made it easier for the rulers to keep their boots on our necks. At some point in one late's childhood or early adolescence, as one is intellectually maturing and becoming socially and politically conscious, one is faced with the need to accept or reject being or becoming like one's parents. One can either accept or reject one's parents' legacy and place in history. I chose to accept mine, and in so doing, I was admitting a profound indebtedness for their major contribution to who and what I became, to who I am today. That is why I decided to undertake this book project with Nebi Lou Crawford. Thank you
2: oh, beautiful oh, for allowing beautiful. me to read that. Oh, my God, it's beautiful, beautiful. I mean, we're going to have you back. We'll probably maybe just do the whole show with you for two months To, <laughs> <laughs> do, uh, I mean, this is very important. You know, Channing, uh you can come, you know, Chang is uh in terms of the continuum so I'm a product of you know the 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 Jewish socialist tradition moving in very early into the black tradition and then into the black revolutionary anti-imperialist black nationalist pan-africanist pro-communist tradition uh, I do a lot of writing about how The final counter-revolution took place in 1979, 1980 with the rise of Ronald Reagan and uh, Margaret Thatcher and the just effort to destroy us of the new left as they destroyed your family in the 50s. They destroyed us in the 80s and 90s. Uh, So now I, in particular, am trying to hold both traditions together, the communist tradition The new left tradition, then go back to Garvey, go back to Haiti, uh, and somehow teach people the continuum of all this. Uh, One of the people who's most uh, receptive, thank God, is Channing Martinez, who's of a different generation than me and different race than me. So, uh, Channing, what, based on the evening we had and, and what you're reading, Where's your mind going with this as an organizer? What are you thinking about? What are you trying to take to other people? What's the book mean to you? Just whatever's on your mind.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And thank you. That's a really big compliment, and uh, I definitely accept that. And thank you. I'm growing into that. Um, You know, I think the thing that I realized that I was missing was the reading and the study, And it's so important because when you're in your moment, you think that this is happening to you. How can this be happening to you? Uh, But the thing that I realized from reading is that it's the same old system that did whatever they did in the 50s. It's the same old system that raided the Native Americans. And it's the same system that raged up against in the 1980s and it's not like their tactics are changing. Maybe the conditions and the elements and the time, place, and conditions are not changing, but they're still using the same tactics. Uh, they're still trying to use your own people against yourselves. Uh, they are still trying to, based on time, place, and conditions, figure out what is the best chess move for them. And for me, I think the book and reading Black Bolshevik and studying with you has really taught me, like, how do you really stand back and try to... I was telling someone this earlier. How do you stand back and try to figure out the whole map and then figure out what your move is going to be on that map? And um, I think a lot of young folks don't know how to do that right now. I mean, they. they I, I don't want to speak for all young folks, but to some extent... There is this like feeling of why is this happening as if it's the first time. Like why is Trump happening? But there was a Reagan. Didn't you know that there was a Reagan? Didn't you know that some of the de- same tactics that Trump was using were some of the same tactics that they were that was used during uh, the rising of the Nazis, right? And how do you really get to the history of studying what did people do? Um, and I say that because I I hear that story about what happened to your father in the airport. And I can't even fathom what I would do in that situation or how I would react or, you know, how do you, how do you just carry on? Um, and I'm both like moved that I get to be, I'm able to study that level of struggle because we're not at the level of struggle. We might complain about little things like, you know, elected officials not calling us, but we're not at the level of they're roughing us up in the in the airport when we're coming back in 2015 from Paris from, you know, carrying a book that says, what are we going to do about the United States, right? Uh, we're not at that point, right? Um, I'm glad we're not at that point, thank goodness. Um, but it is like, it's just, um, you yeah, know, I don't know what I'm saying. I guess I, I'm... I'm I have a lot of gratitude to actually study a lot of that work to figure out and understand both the system that's going on right now, but what are the moves and what is possible in the movement today. And so.
2: Well, I'll get back to you in a minute. One thing I want to ask our listeners is that, you know, uh, the book is called, uh, letters to Langston from the Harlem Renaissance to the Red Scare and beyond. Uh, I think you need to build up a revolutionary library, everybody out there, and then order this book. The Strategy Center is ordering 20 copies for a bookstore, uh, and I think now we can teach it. You know how I said, Jenny, that there's no sense in getting a book in our bookstore if we haven't read it, and if we can't say to somebody, you've got to read this, because that's what S1 does. Whatever you ask them, oh yeah, let me tell you about that book. Oh yeah, And some of our people go, I don't know, I don't read, but I think you should read a book. No. So so Channing is a reader, and I'm a reader, and I, we're going to really make a big thing about um uh letters from langston and one thing I'm going to go back to you is that I think another thing that's very interesting here, not shocking to me, but to some readers is and please find anything else you want to read by the way, is the high level of intellect, and I you know you know that could be condescending, I don't mean it that way I mean I don't think people grasp the black intellectual tradition tradition. The the brilliance of these letters, besides the content, is the form, is the sense of humor, it's the uh enjoyment of ideas, the enjoyment we're black and we're revolutionary and 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 F you. We know what we we're saying the letters are literature and they're high level literature and they're just beautiful and that's another thing to realize. It's not just the content, but it's the fun. It's the, this one refers to that one. This one refers to that one. And it's sometimes it's about, hey, I forgot my, oh, that story about, please bring me back some earrings, which I loved, which your mom said, uh, or how's the baby doing, or I, I didn't get my play published, and blah, 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 and I feel bad. So I loved the letters, you know, I really did, and I immersed myself on their own terms, they don't have to prove anything to me. Just what an enjoyable group of people.
1: Yeah. Um, well, you know, people don't write letters today the way that people wrote letters back, back in that time. Right. Um, we were talking yesterday. The mail used to be delivered twice a day, in the morning and in the evening. Uh, you had morning newspapers and evening newspapers. Um, so you could get a letter in the morning... And write that letter, and then post it the next morning, and then the person got it the following morning. Dang. And so it was uh, a continuous conversation. Um, we felt when my mother, who was the last of the five, right. my my two parents, my co-editors' two parents, and Langston, my mother was the last of the five to leave us, and uh, she had the letters that Langston had written to her parents. And I had the letters that Langston had written to my parents. And we realized that we needed to see if Langston had kept any of the letters that they had written him. Right. That this was a two-way you know, conversation, a five-way conversation. What had Langston kept? We went up to the Beinecke Library at Yale University and found that he had kept just about everything, including Phew. letters that we had written to him that we had totally forgotten about. Um, and that the letters proved that Langston had not abandoned the left radical tradition. So I'd like to read from uh, the introduction that Professor Robin D.G. Kelly wrote uh, for the book. Um, And he says, While none of the five correspondents had a conflict or contradiction-free relationship with the communist movement, their letters provide startlingly clear evidence that Hughes never broke his ties to the left But it wasn't just an ideological and political commitment that kept Hughes tethered to the Pattersons and the Crawfords. It was the depths of their friendship that mattered most. Mm. Matt, Nebby, Pat, Louise, and their precocious daughters, Nebby Lou and Mary Louise, loved Hughes like family. And like family, they cajoled him, chastened him, celebrated him, thanked him, and never ever let him forget for whom he wrote He endured their criticism if he strayed toward self-indulgence or sentimentality. (laughs) They kept him abreast of the struggles of black people, working people, and the oppressed. Thanks to their collective engagement, critique, and prodding, Hughes never lost that essential socialist impulse, the radicalism that so profoundly shaped his writing during the 1930s. The impulse changed and matured, but it did not disappear. And so we wanted – we realized when we saw the letters that Langston had kept from our parents that we had to tell that story, Eric, because um, Langston had been sanitized. Langston um, had been reduced to um, I have – you know, kind of I have a dream like Martin Luther King. Um, And we needed to show that Langston had never, ever abandoned the left, those principles, those dreams – Or his friends, even in the most difficult period, the 1950s, he never abandoned them. He never abandoned those dreams.
2: Well, we're going to make, in the last uh, 20 20 minutes, a little 15, if you would like to talk to Mary Louise, mainly to her, uh, call in at 818-985-5735. We have very good listeners, so there's only two ground rules. You know that. One, please speak into what this conversation is about. uh, And two, speak in in a two-minute, get to the point, because we're very interested in what you do have to say, and we want Mary Louise in particular to have a chance to respond. 818-985-5735. Second thing I want to say in response to what you just said is that I, I think I want to make this, you know, as an organizer... I'd like to make this book a bigger thing. You know, I mean, that's what we do is we take a thing and we invent little things that, and they become big things. We know how to do those. So I think right now for voices, listeners, you make your own choice, but you're strongly encouraged to get a copy of this book and to make your own decision about it because I think we want to get the it, the story of the five and then the story of uh, the two children who are now adults, it's just such a, I mean, it's its also, it is a great movie. You know, there is a great movie here, and the book creates that movie. So we're going to be on the case. I, you know that. You, you're getting me by now. Yes. So I'm not just saying it. We're going to make something, me and Channing, just give me and Channing and Barbara and Emily and uh, some of our members, we're going to make a big thing about that. And we're going to have you back uh, for a book signing and book reading in a few months when we all get, we'll get it together. I
1: will happily return.
2: All right, that's a deal. Read some more. Why don't you just uh, go find just pages you like, just, you know, just anything that just want to hear you read beautifully and to your book.
1: Well, here's a, a, a part, again, of the introduction by Robin D.G. Kelly, Professor Kelly, um, where he says... To be sure, the five friends changed and matured over time in response to conditions and crises that have come to define the American century. That was the 20th century. The beauty of Letters from Langston is that it provides a rich and fascinating alternative history of the American left through black eyes. The letters walk us through the era from Harlem to Moscow, from Chicago to Paris, from the Great Depression to the Red Scare, from World War to civil rights. Beginning with the latter years of the Harlem Renaissance, the letters reveal the dynamic intersection of art and politics and allow for a fresh examination of how the interwar period saw America become home to a viable and dynamic left, and they make visible the terrifying social, political, economic, and psychological effects McCarthyism had on families and friendships. Mm. Finally, these letters the musings of black intellectuals working through a radical critique of the United States and the world reveal a deep concern for humanity and with securing a future for all people without ever ignoring or belittling the very real crisis confronting black people. Letters from Langston redeems not just Hughes's radical politics, but our own. As we grapple with the consequences of neoliberal policies that promote the wealthy at the expense of the poor, privatize hard-won public institutions, and allow police to kill unarmed black and brown people with impunity, the letters and political lives of Matt, Nebby, Pat, Louise, and Langston are illuminating to say the least. And that was written in the late 1990s.
2: Why don't you give me the book? I'm going to find something. I have Guillermo in L.A. Welcome. Can we get him on? Uh, welcome to Voices from the Front Lines. And you here. And thanks, sir. How are you? Hello? Yes.
0: I'm doing well. I practically have tears in my eyes. I um, I appreciate everything that I do. And this particular guest, my God, uh you know thank to her parents and the because I uh, you know i appreciate everything that's been said of course yeah, reading, learning and keeping ahead of see what we can do to fight the other side
2: um thank you guillermo is, uh, okay
0: anything uh, we can do, uh,
2: contributions thank you i would like to know how Get her book. Oh, okay. Uh, you can tell. I can tell. How did she get? How does he get a copy of your book?
1: So, um, Guillermo, the title of the book is "Letters from Langston: From the Harlem okay. Renaissance to the Red Scare and Beyond." It was published by okay. the University of California Press, and you can have All any right. bookstore um, that you that you go to. Um, you can have them order the book. They may not have it on the shelf. Um but that's what okay. I'd suggest you do. I hate to to uh promote Bezos and Amazon, but you can order it from Amazon. It is available on Amazon. It's also available online from Barnes and Nobles, which is a better right. source to go to than Amazon.
2: Thank you, Guillermo. I'm gonna go to someone else. Is that okay?
0: And and, and
1: the last thing, as always,
0: you can always visit Strategy and Soul bookstore. Oh on King and Crenshaw 3542, West Martin Luther King. We're open every Saturday from 10 a.m. to at least 2 p.m., and we'd love to have a conversation with you. And coming to the bookstore is great because we can have a conversation with you about the book.
2: we got a deal, and we will have those books very soon. I have a question here. A caller asked if her parents wrote *A Raisin in the Sun*.
1: Um, no, my parents did not write *A Raisin in the Sun*. Lorraine Hansberry wrote *A Raisin in the Sun*, um, and you may not know that she was also a member of the yes, Communist yes, Party, yes. and she was a dear friend of my parents. Um, so she's the one who wrote *A Raisin in the Sun*. And uh, thank you, G- Guillermo. I want to just thank you for your um, your wonderful words.
2: And also that um let's see, I lost something in, in looking for that. Oh, that uh Lorraine Hansbury also organized Nina Simone into communism. Uh here's a nice poem. You wanna read this one? This is this is a Langston poem. Note from a worker.
1: Okay. Um so Langston used to send copies of first and or second drafts of his right. poems. To, especially to my mother um, and or to Matt Crawford, my co-author's father, uh, for their critique. And they'd critique them, too. <laughs> um, so this is note from a worker. It was enclosed with a letter that went to uh, Nebby and Matt, actually. Note from a worker. I believe it to be true. You see, that tomorrow belongs to me. And so let not too many tears water our unhappy years. Being poor and black today... I await my first May Day, certain as this final rhyme. It will come in due time. It was written and sent to Matt in nineteen thirty nine. Well, I would like to yeah, read. Yeah, please, please, um, please. That's what I'm saying. When I was when I was born,
2: um, the voice you're hearing while she's thumbing through is our our new friend and comrade, Mary Louise Patterson, and. Channy and Barbara and uh, Joanna Jackson and Mary Louise and us are, are had just a wonderful time together, and we are living inside this book and having a good time. So, uh, yes, we'll come to the Strategy and Soul where you're looking. Come to Strategy and Soul Bookstore. I said we've ordered 20 copies, and get it any way you can, but the value of coming to us is you're coming in some way in the tradition of William O. Patterson and Louise Patterson. and Oh, we also have Langston Hughes plays there. We have August Wilson's plays there. So come on over. Just join us at 3546 Martin Luther King between McClung and Crenshaw, right across from that health store called Krispy Kreme. Okay. Uh, there's an there's, as you're looking. There's an Alfredo. We want to take his call while you while you're looking. Okay. Hey, Alfredo. How are you? Welcome to Voices. Doing as, well. And and of course, speaking directly to Mary Louise.
3: Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for this work. Um, you know, when I was in college, I you know I was very much into Langston Hughes and the Harlem Renaissance, and um, there was this sense I think going around it, yeah, that somehow he was no longer a leftist. that's You know, at a certain point in his life, so thank you for this work and for Dr. DJ Kelly also for that, for the intro to the book. And, um, maybe if the, if, if the author can speak a little bit more to how these, uh, critical authors, um, from the black radical tradition are like really, um, I don't know, they're, they're just, they're stripped of like their, their leftism. And also one last thing, um, the Big C by Langston Hughes, one of, one of two, I think, autobiographies. I think the other one was um, I Wonder As I Wander, just incredible. They read like novels, and they're actually memoirs. So anyway, that's it. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
2: Well, thanks for thanks for knowing it. And just, we didn't say it, but Dr. R. Robin D.G. Kelly is a very good friend of the strategy. He said a good friend of mine uh, that he's part of that circle. I mean, when I read his introduction... I mean, that's Robin. You know, the, he and I have been talking about this for, you know, 30 years, and he is one of the leading, you know, uh, carriers of this story of the black radical and black communist and black nationalist tradition, and uh, he's also going to be having events at Strategy and the Soul. He's already had one. So, yes, big props to Robin Kelly. Uh,
1: thank you for the comments. Um it's it's uh, <laughs> it's what the propaganda machine um, that uh, this country has created does in terms of sanitizing um leaders um, making the pushing them into a mold that makes them, uh, Acceptable to the status quo, um, it it um, so that young people um, don't see them as change agents, um, don't understand that change is possible. Like um, Channing was saying, they are stripped of the history; they're denied their history, the history of struggle. Um, The history of struggle has been a continuous history. The history for freedom and liberation is a continuous history. All oppressed peoples have done so. So to strip people of that history, to make it sound like, oh, yes, there was a Langston Hughes. Oh, yes, there was a Paul Robeson. Oh, yes, there was a Du Bois. Oh, yes, there was a Lorraine Hansberry. There was a Nina Simone. Um, There was a... um, What was what was Cassius Clay's
2: Muhammad? Muhammad,
1: There was a Muhammad Ali, but to strip them of their radicalism, of their challenge, uh, of of them as challengers of the status quo, and to somehow fit them into this mold of well, you know, kind of Santa Claus, is uh, is a part of squashing any movement for change. Um, so that's, uh, that's part of the struggle is to uncover that history to, um, and then to share that history, to make sure that our youth know that history, that we know the history and that our youth know the history. I mean, why is it that we're just finding out about Tulsa, Oklahoma right. uh, that right. happened in 1919, um, in ni- in 2021, you Sometimes. know, so the history has, we, we've been denied the history, we, and that's another way, you know, of, of keeping us uh, placated, of keep, keeping us quiet, of keeping us from rebelling, keeping us from joining together. Because the history of the fight for unity um, is also the history that's denied. So I'd like to, um, what I was looking for. Were the passages when uh, Evelyn Louise, my co-author's real name is Evelyn Louise, but she was known as Nebby Lou.
3: Um,
1: When Nebby Lou was born, uh, Langston wrote to her, to Nebby Lou from Langston, from Paris, 1938, P.S., glad you're here. And then to me, when I was born, Langston wrote the following, to Mary Lou, dear Mary Louise, This is for your first collection of original manuscripts. (laughs) By the time you are old enough to read, I hope this war will be over. And this was written in 1943. Excuse me. I didn't say that at the beginning. So... um, by the time you are old enough to read, I hope this war will be over. And by the time you are a big girl, I hope the red star will be shining everywhere and that <laughs> you will be here a long time to enjoy all its blessings. So be a nice baby and take your cod liver oil and grow up strong with love from Langston.
2: Well, That's a great he,
1: he included a poem. Uh, this was for my first collection, as he said. Mama, I found this soldier's cap lying in the snow. It has a red star on it. Whose is it? Do you know?
2: Wow. Whoa. He's really great at shortness. You yes. know what I mean? And brevity. Yes. And scoring these points. Yes. Um, I almost don't want to have a last word, but I will, which is, I think, one of the things we want you to understand is that The core of the communist position was its internationalism. The young woman who was up on the stage in the Olympics now and who just didn't want to participate in the Star Spangled Banner is in trouble. Muhammad Ali is in trouble because of that. Colin Kaepernick, Paul Robeson, Mm -hmm. he just said, I don't want to fight the Soviets. This country right now, uh, Biden, is already trying to go to war with Russia and China very aggressively. And I think the central question facing everybody, if you're reading letters to Langston, and if you're reading about these amazing black communists, is they like the Soviet Union. They fought in Spain on, the, on behalf of the loyalists. They wanted an international, decent world. And that simple thing of fighting against fascism and wanting a decent world made them the political pariahs and made them our heroes. So that's what this show's about.
1: I would like to thank um, Eric Mann, who is the director of the Labor Community Strategy Center, and Channing Martinez, who's the director of organizing at the Labor and Community Strategy Center for inviting me here today. Um, I'm really honored to be here with you on your show. Uh, thank you very much for your um, interest uh, not just interests. excuse me for your devoting your lives to the struggle for the freedom and liberation of all people thank you very much
2: it couldn't have been nicer we'll let Nina Simone take us home
1: regrets I've had a few but then again Too few to mention I did what I had to do
3: and saw it through.